what would it look like if as leaders we stepped into uh, organizational culture, thinking more in terms of how do we assess this scientifically? How do we start coding it? And then testing enhancements uh, based on the data that we're actually receiving. And I think leadership is about disappointing people's current paradigm towards something that is better for them, for the organization, for the team at a rate in which they can handle. That was Bronson Coe and Corey Shear, and this is a new monthly format of Guild Stories called The Orchard. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we will explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Guild Stories. We have a, uh, a, a an experiment, I'd say, um, today, and hopefully for many months to come, many years to come. Um Today, I'm joined by Bronson Co., who, who you all have heard, owner of Co. Martial Arts. Coma is the brand name. Uh, first of all, Bronson, welcome. Thanks for having me. Fun to have you here again. Uh, and Corey Shear. Corey's a, a dear friend on the Guild Content Board. Um, we've talked at length about trust with him on the podcast. Uh, so I have these two gentlemen. Corey, welcome, my man. Thanks. Good to be back. Yeah, so the, the, the random idea here is like, hey, could we have a consistent monthly conversation. Um, I personally have, have, have grown and learned a great deal from each of you. Um, and it seems like we find ourselves at times in these really fun and profound conversations individually, collectively with our teams about a variety of things, right? It's, it's, it's awesome to, to hear like one person's specific story but as we've gotten feedback from guests, you, you two in particular, I was like, man, I'd love to hear more of their perspective on a thing. <laughs> and, and so as we've prepped for today, and my gosh, like who knows how this turns out. And I'm excited just to see where the conversation flows. But we've, <clears throat> excuse me, had these um, topics, right, of, of maybe it's leadership, maybe it's mindset, maybe it's culture. Um, business development? How do you approach community building? How do you approach the creative process? Um, what's your take on wellness? <laughs> right? Like I'm asking Bronson about the random drink that he, he had the other day. <clears throat> um, what's your, what's your mindset practice? What's your sleep habit? What is your um, take on marketing and storytelling? Bronson, what's your take on technology? Corey, how do you weave trust into an organization? What's, what's the latest in entrepreneurship habits. So, so we've got this like, you know, grab bag of, <laughs> of topics that um, would love to uh, continually explore over the next um, once a month with you guys and, and, and just to, to see where this format might take us. And then um, from a, a, a listener standpoint, what's also going to be fun, at least for me, because I'll get to learn from these two, is getting into some conversation ar around inspiration. So, what books have been inspiring? What resources do you go to? What movies may be connected or resonated with y'all? Uh, what podcasts do you listen to? Um, what articles have resonated? What games are you playing? <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for both of you committing to the, 
the random idea and uh, we'll see where we go. So by way of quick reset, let's do some intros and some reintros. Um, Bronson, maybe you can go first and just remind folks um, who you are and what you're up to. Yeah, my name is uh, Bronson Coe. I am the founder and CEO of Co-Martial Arts Coma, which I started back in 2006. And this was literally the um, month after I graduated college, something I've been doing since I was four years old. My father was my instructor. I was kind of raised in his martial arts studio. And um, as I continued to um, get older, I started working more in his business. At the age of 15, I started teaching. And I actually didn't even know I was going to do this until mm. the last year of college because I my father said, be an engineer and do like something real. <laughs> <laughs> Get a real job. Get a real job. Don't do this, you know, crazy martial arts thing. But for some reason, I still wanted to do it. And mm. I just felt like I had a calling to do it. So mm. um, 16 years later, we have two locations and uh, somehow survived the mm. pandemic because we are one of those businesses you can't really, That's right. you know, do online for a long time. So... Yeah, that's kind of my story, and I love tech. I love marketing. I love trying to find the best way of doing things. Mm. It's like a obsession of mine, and that includes health. That includes um, everything, really, thinking and, and being productive and all those other things. So. I love it. Thanks, man. It's great to have you. Uh, Corey. Yeah, my name is Corey Shear. Good to be back on this podcast, and longtime friend of Justin, and uh, we've had lots of conversations that I wish we could have recorded so that I could have referred back to it. That's right. Lots of whiteboard sessions. Yep. And my vocational path uh, has been one that has been pretty windy up mm. until the last few years. And experience in multiple industries, honestly, there was probably a point several years ago where I was almost ashamed at mm. how I had almost industry jumped. Mm. But as I look back on that, I'm very thankful for the diversity of those experiences. And the thread that has run through each of those experiences is just a strong desire for me to help organizations not only improve as teams, as whether it's a product that they provide or a service, or in my, cur in my current full-time context as a pastor, being able to clearly communicate who we are as a church and why we exist, but trust has been such a, a significant thread that has run through those experiences, both as, as receiving trusted counsel from many, many people along the way, but then also as I learn more about some of the elements that, that create sustainable trust within organizations in some of my educational experiences, and now translating that into uh, a side business that I have called Trust-Centric Consulting, where I really help organizations try to keep trust at the center of everything that they do. And it has been uh, an entrepreneurial venture that has been lots of learning and it's been some bootstrapping and some grassroots. And the cool part about the work that I get to do on the side is that it really helps me be better at what I do full time as a pastor, because as a pastor and as staff member of a church, it's all about building trust. It's all about, uh, it's all about ensuring that we are welcoming people into conversations about their spiritual life, their 
relationship with others, their relationship with God in a way that is trustworthy. And so there's this cool symbiotic relationship that I'm seeing with the work that I'm doing and then full-time and then the work that I'm doing uh, more part-time. And so instead of it being um, a bivocational pursuit, it's much more of a co-vocational pursuit. And that's been a lot of fun. And uh, my my passion is to, wherever I'm at, is to be someone who is both trustworthy but also as someone who is helping others build trust with others. I'm, I'm deeply passionate about that, and I want to continue to learn how to be better at that. I love it. Um, thanks, both of you, for, for setting the stage. So there's, there's a million routes we could go. <laughs> and in my mind right now, I'm going, okay, what's the, what's the, what's the most effective and in service to our listeners topic that, that might be um, interesting and, and helpful. And, 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 and I think where I'd love to start is to hear each of you, I know, have um, wonderful, effective leadership in your, your wake, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm, my wife's in finishing up her master's in counseling, and she's with Dr. Townsend, who is most famous probably for uh, the book Boundaries. It was like 20 years ago or something. Um, he's written a new book on leadership effectiveness and influence, and, and in, in its most simple form, it talks about the wake that you leave as a leader. Like if you're quite literally like driving a boat, the wake you leave. And on one side of the wake is people, and on one and the other side of the wake is performance. And it's just a simple, I think it relates to your structure of trust. Bronson, I think it relates, Corey, on the structure of trust. Bronson, I think it relates to, I'm pointing and realizing people can't hear me point. <laughs> so um, Bronson, I think it definitely relates to your culture index and the ways that you've kind of approached team building and, and, and mindset around um effective outcomes but but this people and performance wake um is a is a is a helpful kind of starting point to how as as the the leader of an organization or a team how do you begin to walk into the man are we are we are we doing the right thing i think like as at least for me at times the leadership kind of circle gets as like tangled as this mess of cords in front of me, right? Because I'm like, man, where do I focus my time? And how do I prioritize people? And how do I also think about the damn profit? <laughs> how do we, it just, it feels at times really convoluted and, and, and it's of course all connected. And so I think where I'd love to begin the exploration for you guys is like, when you, when you think about team building, leadership effectiveness, outcome humanity, right? It's also related. How do you begin to have some conversations about leadership? Well, uh, I can say that for me, this has been a huge journey <laughs> as a, a doer. I'd consider myself somebody mm. who thinks of what first instead of the who, mm. when we have a problem or an obstacle where we need to get something done. I think of what do I need to do to get this thing done? Mm. But as a leader, we should be thinking who, who could do this? Who could I delegate this to? And I struggle with this every single day still because um, I am very, I don't want to say this in a way that mm. sounds arrogant, but I'm very capable. I can learn things on my own. I can get things done on my own. But the problem is I'm only one person. So the biggest learning lesson that I've had that I still struggle with is 
that other people that can do it aren't mm. necessarily going to do it as quickly as me, but I have to accept that. Mm. And I have to know that that is actually the best way of going. That's the best route to take. Mm. But then that leads into patience and having <laughs> that patience to not only wait for that person to get the job done, but patience for me to sit down and plan and prepare so then they can have enough time to get stuff done. So I don't know, for me, it's, it's just a learning lesson that has probably been going on um, for a long time and will continue to go on. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, definitely it's all about uh, going back to trust mm. and being able to trust people. And it leads also, mm. the next part of this is really for me is, are you putting the right people in the right seats, right? Good to great. It's, it's a book everybody knows about, but that's a big thing that I've really realized, and that's where Culture Index comes in, just figuring out their profile and what what was important to them. Do they care about being around people or not? If they don't, then why am I putting them at the front desk when <laughs> it drains them and it doesn't energize them? But once they're in the right seat, then it goes into trusting that they're going to get that job done. Yeah, that's good. That cultural index made me think about, I think one of the roles of a leader of a team or an organization is to be basically a cultural anthropologist. So it's, you're, you're stepping into a situation where you're trying to start, you got to start collecting data. And I think the, you know, the three forms of data, the quanti the quantitative, so tell me the numbers, what's the balance sheet, how's our cash flow, of course, that that's important. What are, what are the attendance numbers? That's important, but then there's the qualitative. There's the story side. What's the tone of the story? Uh, what's the frequency of the story? What's the emotion that's wrapped up in the story? Yeah, that's super important. And then the third one is there's the anecdotal data, which if everything is based on anecdotal data, that can be dangerous. But anecdotal data, it's, it's almost like the the smoke that comes off of your cultural reality. So the, the anecdotal, those are the hallway conversations or the parking lot or the whisper level conversations that maybe you're observing as a leader. And so as a, as a leader, I think it's important to do that anthropologic work of stepping in and start collecting the data, quantitative, qualitative, anecdotal. And then I think as a leader, we can individually as well as surround ourselves with people to start coding that data. But that requires... To your point, Bronson, that requires patience because it takes time to collect adequate data. And if we if we microwave that process, then I think we as leaders can bring our own individual data set into a team and we can start making decisions that are more me-focused as opposed to responding to the actual data itself. So what would it look like if as leaders we stepped into uh, organizational culture thinking more in terms of how do we assess this scientifically, how do we start coding it, and then making testing enhancements uh, based on the data that we're actually receiving. It's wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking through even our own organization and the ways that we're, we're growing and that there's been pressure put on um, good ways, right? Like growing pains are, are painful, <laughs> but it also means you're growing. And so the, the awareness of and Bronson, I'm using your language that, that you're, you're talking about with Jim Collins of like right people, right seat, um, both critically important. Is it the right person? Is it the right seat for that person? And 
it's it's interesting, you know, to you to to talk about your high capacity. Like Bronson could be hired to do lots of things, and he would do them very well. Um, same with Corey. Same with lots of folks. It doesn't always necessarily mean, though, that that person can be an effective leader. And so we're we're having these conversations with our team around like, hey. Leadership isn't a title. <laughs> um, management is a title. Uh, le- leadership is a is an invitation. It's a it's a responsibility. It's a an opportunity. And and Dorothy Magner, who is our accountant, <laughs> right? Who who has the least, literally the least visible client role in our organization, is a wickedly talented leader, right? She she has leadership chops of the humanity side, the effective outcomes, the financial structures, right? And 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 she's not even a full-time W2 employee. <laughs> she's a she and she she outkicks her um her her pay scale by a lot. So props to Dorothy big time. But my point is um I, I think there's this isn't groundbreaking, but there's this old school narrative of like, man, leadership is position. <laughs> um I think leadership is like hard, gritty, freaking get your face kicked in type of work. That is, that is, to your point earlier, Bronson is 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 the humble posture towards like, man, I, maybe I don't know right now. Maybe I need to be more curious. Maybe I need to ask more questions. And and that's hard for me. I don't know about y'all. That's hard for me because not always, certainly not always. Lots of times I might know the at least a right answer, not that there's only one right answer. And it's, it's def- default, low awareness, unhealthy parts of me say and do and make decisions and like, let's go. <laughs> and I get into like, let's go mode. Mm-hmm. Got to go, got to go. Let's go. Come on, quicker, quicker. And then I look around sometimes and I'm like, hey, nobody's with me. Because <laughs> I like <laughs> sprinted away and I'm in a different forest and they're all back here like asking like, hey, like where are we on? XYZ. So uh, again, not that there's like a a perfect magic answer here, but uh, in that vein of leadership as opportunity, leadership as curiosity, what are some practical, helpful ways to like instill, and maybe I I need it for you to help me, but like, what's the practice to slow down, ask more questions? Corey, you're one of the best question askers I've ever been around. Like I come to you with a problem and I'm like, Want you to tell me the answer, bro? And you ask me questions. I'm like, damn it, <laughs> like, that's annoying, right? That's the instinct. It's not annoying. It's yeah. wonderful. It's intentional, but those questions kind of force you to wrestle with things that you maybe want to avoid or neglect or not 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 deal with. So, um, well, that's I, my long question to I, you, Corey. Is like, how do you how do you how do you yeah. manifest some of that practically? I wonder. I don't know if, if you guys have experienced this, but it seems like my definition of leadership has maybe changed. Over time, you know, there's the classic John Maxwell definition, which is leadership is influence. So that's that's a good starting point. And then my dad, who is a leader that I I looked up to every day of my life, he he qualified that by saying leadership is inspirational influence. So that's kind of a whole nother definition to unpack. But one of the one of my favorite definitions of leadership, and Justin, you and I have talked about this just on our own, but it's leadership is about disappointing people at a rate in which they can handle. And the first time I heard that, it was like, 
I don't want to disappoint anyone. But then the question is, well, what is it that you're disappointing? And I think leadership is about disappointing people's current paradigm towards something that is better for them, for the organization, for the team, but doing it at a rate that they can handle. So it's not you get out ahead a month or two and you look back and no one's with you. And so that that has been helpful for me of going, even if I know what the answer is, am I disrupting or disappointing or helping change someone's paradigm at a rate in which they can handle, not in, not in the rate in which I want to go? Another thing that I would add to that is um, there's a great book uh, written by their last names are Bullman and Deal. The book is called Reframing Organizations. And I think uh, as a leader, I, I think in terms of mental models. So I visualize things and I try to run it through different frames and models. And this is one of the best frameworks for me that I've ever read about, which they talk about in every situation within an organization, there's always four competing frames. There's the symbolic frame. So there are certain things within an organization that have symbolic value. There are structural frames that you're bumping up against or competing, or they may be archaic, but they're still, they still exist. There's the human resource frame. Uh, and so that human resource frame is something that is um, very powerful because um, where that's where policy can start to intersect with actuality. So we've got the political human resource uh, symbolic, and then the final one is the the structural. So those four frames, or the fourth one is the political frame. So these are the, the political forces that are operating within an organization, and when you introduce people into a team dynamic, there's going to be political implications, not national politics. I'm talking political, how people are interacting with each other, power dynamics within an organization, assumptions, those types of things. And so those four frames, political, human resource, structural, and symbolic, when I step into a meeting, when I'm doing that anthropology work, I'm, I'm asking myself, what is the strongest frame right now? And it's really interesting. You can observe to go, there's a lot of symbolism right now in this conversation. Let's, let's dig. Let's, let's unpack why is that symbol so important for our organization? And then that becomes a bit of a diagnostic tool to start to literally frame out my response, my questions, my thoughts uh, from a leadership standpoint. Bronson, do you, how do you, do you think in terms of like frameworks within your organization, your leadership? Well, I'm smiling because <clears throat> in Culture Index, I'm considered an architect. Mm-hmm. And that is literally how I lead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With frameworks and buildings. I yeah, build yeah. walls. Yeah. I build walls mm-hmm. and policies and rules so then people will just naturally flow in the, mm-hmm. in the way that I want. And mm-hmm. I think that's an Enneagram one mm-hmm. thing too. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I naturally think like that. But what has been a huge um, game changer for me is the idea that everything goes back as a leader and even as a person goes back to humility and being humble. I, I fully believe that is the answer to every single problem that we have as humans is just by be more humble and know that, you know, you're broken. We, you don't know everything. You got many things to work on and that's where it should always start. <clears throat> Cause when you, then when you approach those meetings with your employees or uh, a manager and you have that mindset first, then when you're talking to them, you're going to sound a little bit softer. You're going to have more understanding. Mm. So for me, I think what 
really needs to happen first is leaders should be working on themselves first, not on their team. And one of the things that I always will repeat over and over again with my team is when things go right, point outwards. When things go wrong, point inwards. So whenever something goes right, you're like, hey, that wasn't me. That was you guys. Or when something goes wrong, hey, what did I do wrong as a leader? What could I do different next time? How could I say that in a different way? And that's what I've been really guilty mm -hmm. of in the past is just being too blunt and brass when I say things mm -hmm. and being able to soften it so then people uh, can take it can in a better way. It, sure. Right. Yeah. It's just that EQ, right? And uh, just focusing on yourself, mm -hmm. I think, is the first step. This is something else that I just list, I heard recently where we, we this is where I've felt guilty. And you talked about, I think you said, you felt shame or something about going back and forth mm -hmm. between different industries. Mm -hmm. And I have felt that because I very much, again, am a doer and I get in and do stuff. And I've always understood leadership as you got to delegate and sit and just wait for everybody else <laughs> to do it for you. Right. But work on the business. Not right, in the exactly. Business. How many right. times do we hear that? But then I've, I've realized, Hey, that's not absolutely, that's not true because mm -hmm. the best leader is the one that goes that floats between and really goes between technician, manager, and leader, mm -hmm. right? When it's time to get in there and get your hands dirty and show them how to do it and lead by example, you got to get in there right next to them, shoulder to shoulder, and do it with them. I firmly believe that. Mm -hmm. And there's times you have to manage them and hold them accountable. And then there's times to be more inspirational and be a little bit further away where now they're uh, feeling motivated from the words you're saying, and basically your behavior. So again, for me, it, it always goes back to humility. But then one thing I'd even mention is discipline, mm -hmm. being a disciplined leader, being able to keep my mouth closed <laughs> when I'm, when I'm should be just be listening to my employee or my team member talk, which is, has been a, a struggle. <laughs> That's a challenge. <laughs> You know how we, you know, have you ever seen somebody who's like, you're talking to them and you're already, you can tell that they're waiting to say the next thing. They're already thinking about it. Mm. So that's, that's just one of those, those items that I've been working on as well. Myself. As I like waited to talk, <laughs> <laughs> I, but, but I, I'm honest, I want to hear you and Corey and, and maybe even my own unpacking of the leader working on themselves first. What's that mean? What does that look like? I would say it starts with self-actualization and realizing how you were built and created because I really feel that we definitely have our, we have natural strengths, gifts, but we also have weaknesses. We have things that we naturally struggle with. And the faster that we can get to that point where we know who exactly we were, how we were created, then we know what the next step should be, what the paths should be, and maybe even what books I need to start reading, which was a huge, huge pivoting point for me when, when I started reading books. But I think it starts with self-actualization. Yeah, oh, go ahead, Corey. No, that's good. It, it kind of does springboard off of that. I Similar to that self-actualization, it's a very similar model. I, I've read it in the context of, of extending and receiving mercy. So the four elements of receiving mercy, and it, it actually is linear, it's sequential, and it's how am I doing physically? 
Am I, am I giving mercy to others based on their physical needs? Are their needs being met? Are my needs being met physically? Am I getting sleep? What am I eating? I have gone days of going, I, I can't remember the last time that I drank water. And I'm just admitting that to everyone right now. And my wife looks at me like, <laughs> are you serious? It's like, it's just been coffee for the last three days. So, but that's a physical need and I've not extended mercy to myself. And it's not wise to, to continue with that. Then it moves from physical to social needs. So am I extending mercy to others socially? Am I, am I receiving mercy socially? Am I engaging with other people? Am I communicating with others? Am I spending time outside of just my own workspace or whatever? Then it moves to psychological. So how am I extending mercy psychologically to others? How am I receiving psychological mercy with positive feedback or honest feedback and then the final one is, is spiritual. And so for me as a pastor, that becomes spiritual also means theological. So what are the theological elements of mercy that I'm extending to others and also receiving? But what's interesting about, about this is that it's impossible for me to extend or receive psychological mercy if my physical needs and my social needs are not met first. And so that's where that sequential, you can't jump out ahead of those core elements of physical, then social, then psychological, then spiritual. So that may be a, a way to do a bit of a self-assessment of, of saying, why do I feel so lonely right now? Well, let's back up. How am I doing physically? Let's go on a run first and then let that kind of flush out some of the things that I need to physically and then assess how am I feeling socially. Maybe uh, my social... My social uh, aptitude right now is being affected because I'm a grump because I haven't gone on a run yet today. Whatever. The, so that's or you where ate you, crap or you, you, yeah, right. Yeah, right. you start to kind of unpack that a little bit. So um, as opposed to feeling the pressure to do all four of those elements, or physical, social, psychological, spiritual, at one time, there is an opportunity to assess and break that down a little bit. Mm. Yeah, and, and to, to answer my own question around um, the the awareness piece is like it all starts there. <laughs> and for, and, and both of, you know, depths of my own story and I've shared lots of it publicly too, but the, the, the broken parts, like, man, I, I tried to outrun them. I tried to deny them. I tried to avoid them. I tried to not deal with them. And, and I think we're, and, and maybe it's the season of life too. I, I went on a walk with Brooke the other day. It was our first one in a long time. Don't, don't think that I'm like, amazing husband guy all the time not um but we went on a walk midday and it was one of those like february 60 degree days and she, as i mentioned she's finishing up her her work in her master's in counseling and she was like hey i've got this framework spoken like an enneagram one which both of you have talked about architecture and framework and here's my four steps to this <laughs> I'm like, man i'm 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 not wired that way which is okay um but she said there's there's it seems to be pretty clear that there's kind of these three distinct seasons, even in, in life. And, and we all probably enter them at different times. Right. Um, and, and, and Richard Rohr talks about this. There's, there's wonderful teaching around this concept, but you know, this first season being the, the way the, the times and space where you are building an identity, um, not even in a bad way, not in a like, fake way, but you're, and, and Corey, you've talked about shadow self. Um, there's like ego and true self language, right? There's all, all sorts of different ways to, to say the same thing. But as you're, as you're building this first 
season or this container, mm-hmm. <laughs> this identity, again, not bad. We all do it, have done it. Um, one, one language is first mountain. As you're climbing the first mountain of success, performance, identity, value being external. Somebody tell me I'm good and okay. Um, that, that naturally has to break at some point. And, and we're in, in that season fairly unaware, <laughs> uh, at least I was, mm. fairly unaware and have blind spot city, right? It's like I'm fixated on I want to build a beautiful, perfect family and perfect career and look amazing and do the thing. <laughs> and like that thing eroded and unraveled for me. And then you enter this kind of season of suffering. And again, this isn't all linear and it's not all black and white, of course. But you enter this season of suffering where you're kind of going, wait, everything I thought was true is feeling untrue. It's feeling scary. It's feeling complicated. I feel the shame and the weight of all the stuff that I'm wrestling through. And then you enter this, you know, progressively and gradually, not perfectly. You enter the second mountain. You enter the the season of working on the contents and the guts and the soul and the, um, Bronson, to use your language, the humility um, that soil gets gets kind of dug up, <laughs> but but the digging up part is hard, and so I, I share that because it's like man, um, self awareness by definition um, requires humility, right? It, it requires the humility to go. What do I not see? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's probably a lot, even in my current state and your current states, that. We're not seeing, but the the posture, and I love I love the language. The posture of, can I take a curious and humble stance? Can can I can I find my own solid ground enough to ask a couple questions that I might not like the answers to? Um, and man, in some, some in some version of that is where I wish I had a, an architect mind in this moment. No you, <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> because I'm going, man. In, in that is like a a messy, you know, portrait and a painting that starts to get some clarity around. Okay, who do we want to be, and 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 what do we want to who? Not not just like what do we want to go do, but like who do we want to be, and how do we want to inspire and grow other leaders around us that, that, um, unfortunately it seems you kind of got to go through the suffering to, to get some of that clarity. I, I don't know if any of that resonates, but. Well, and as you were talking about that, I, I, I wonder what the role of fear has in, in our different seasons mm. in our journey. And it made me think about my dad was, my dad worked until he was 75 as a superintendent of schools. And I remember asking him as he was almost done and almost retired, I said, dad, 40 years in education, what would you have done differently? And he said, honestly, there's only one thing. He just said, I, I wish that I wouldn't have been fearful 30 years ago because right now, what are they going to do? Fire me? I'm 74 years old. (laughs) He said, I have no fear. And because of that, I, can make more decisions in a more bold, helpful, humble way. I'm not afraid of my title or my position or people's perception of me, or I'm not even afraid of failing. In fact, I'm, I'm addressing things with uh, a very thin layer of fear where at one point it might, at one point it might've been very thick to wade through. And that I will always remember that because now as I, our family, we have a family mantra and it's just say yes. 
as those opportunities come up, as opposed to running it through the fear filter, it's more of, okay, when we say yes, what is that going to look like? And that has been a really helpful question for me to ask, which is how is fear showing up in this current season, this, this decision or this relationship or whatever the case may be? And then how do I address that? And how do I think differently about fear? I want to revisit what I said earlier about focus on yourself because I, I don't want that to be misunderstood. I feel like nowadays that's such a popular notion where it's like you got to focus on yourself you got to really think about like literally only think about mm. yourself mm. that's that is not what i'm saying 100% what i'm saying is you got to fix yourself mm. and it starts really for me this is my opinion it mm. comes down to where are you finding your confidence mm-hmm. you can't find your confidence in worldly things things that you mm. you know you know read a book or some coach tells you that you're good no, that's not where your confidence comes from. It comes from God. Mm-hmm. And once you get right with God and you understand that you're broken, but the grace is there mm-hmm. and the mercy is there and you are okay, but you still got to work for it. And you still got to you know live the life that you're supposed to live. I think that should be the starting point because mm-hmm. once you have that peace, which is something that I struggled with for a long time, Fear, anxiety, and my personality. Enneagram ones, I feel like I know I worry and stress well, about resentment. It. Is your uh, kind of yeah? I yeah, mean, yeah, there's yeah, so yeah, yeah, many yeah. little. Yeah. I mean, the rabbit holes that my mind can dive into that lead to a a place that most people are like, "What are you thinking about?" And then you take a blowtorch to the rabbit hole. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but I will nuke the rabbits <laughs> quickly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know. Like for me, that's that's been my journey of, yeah, man. The com- where do you find your confidence? And that leads also to this amazing place where you stop caring about what other people think. I mean, the 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 more a leader can get to that place of not caring about what other people think, but really caring first what God thinks and what you should be doing, everything else is easy. You just got to put the work in. And understand that you're going to struggle, but guess what? That's, that's, right. how, that's, how you, that's how you build muscle. You build muscle by making your muscle struggle, not by just being comfortable every day. It's good. It's so good. It's well said, and, and uh, uh, I definitely took your language as such. Like it's um, the re- And we've used this phrase in our business around taking radical responsibility, which is similar to what you said of um, – I forget how you phrased it, but it's, you know, praise outward. What would you say? Yep. Remind when me. things go right, point outward. Point when outward. things go wrong, point, point inward. Inwards. Yep. And, and to take that, what what's haunting, and it's so all, it's all related, but what's haunting in the like soul discovery work um, is my resentments, my frustrations, my uh, when people don't meet some something in me it's really all it all like is just a mirror of my own dysfunction right Mm -hmm. and it's this like projection or insecurity or fear or uh shortcoming that that ultimately says something about myself and it's like oh wait i'm like raging mad internally about something and it's like did i ever say that out loud did i ever like give someone the clear expectation of um of what, I, what I've, what I've spoken or what I've uh, resented them for. Nope. I haven't like, I've got work to do in naming clarity, being specific, being, being, you know, growing in my architecture. Um, 
and it makes me think of, and I know we'll talk about books later, but I'm, I'm, I've just started Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. Uh, it's her brand new release, and I, she's freaking terrific. Um, but her, one concept she's already shared that's like kind of the mind-blowing emoji thing. <laughs> it's like yeah. she talks about, and it's what you were just referencing, Bronson, but she talks about having a having a grounded center, having your center be grounded internally, like deep-rooted, having secure identity that comes certainly not from external humans. It comes from an internal awareness of your own relationship with um, how we, we, uh, we align in our beliefs, but like not everybody does, of course, but having a grounded rooted center is only as strong. And I love this language. I never heard it is only as strong as how crisp your edges are. Meaning you must have strong edges Mm -hmm. and clear edges. Boundaries could be another word. Um, but to have a clear edge to say, hey, I, I want I want to do X, but like if someone's asking me, whatever, like there's a million different ways that applies, but to have a clear edge of, hey, this is where I end and someone else begins, <laughs> and to not have that enmeshed, weird resentment land kind of build, is it has felt really, it, it's felt freeing to go, cool, like just hold an edge here, just have clarity here. Mm-hmm. And then it, it, it eliminates, not all the way, all the time, but it eliminates lots of that um, chance for resentment to grow or for unhealthy dynamics to grow. And so anyway, I, I, I just, I, I thought of her book as you were saying that. It's like, yeah, deep awareness continued all the time, ongoing work on the self, not in a narcissistic, ego-centered way, but in a loving, rooted, benevolent way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, good. What was the other book she wrote? I know uh, I've heard of that name. She she's probably most. Um, oh, what was the first book? Um, Good night. I wrote. I, I I wrote. I read her Dare to Lead book. That's what it was. Um, yeah, which is which is a wonderful book. She has the like super famous TED talk around vulnerability and shame. Okay. Um, wonderful author and and uh, and human. It seems at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know. Daring, Daring greatly is the Daring other one. greatly. Yeah, 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 yeah. She she has the the she based it on the Teddy Roosevelt arena quote um, about being being in it, being gritty, being marred, being being kicked around a little bit. So yeah, and you know I to to kind of continue what you were saying there. I think that that assessment, that deep dive, the clarifying of the edges, that's the daily work, mm-hmm. uh, but that's also work that can't be done alone. Right. And I wonder if that's, uh, if it's an emotion that, that a leader experiences as they gain more responsibility, as they try to get out in front of, of maybe what the current status quo is, but that sense of loneliness of not being, so who are our personal board of directors? Who are the people who are speaking in? Who are the people who will be honest? Who are the people that they just, when your name comes across their mind, they'll send you the text message just to check in for no other reason. And that's actually a really practical thing that I try to do more is as I think about someone, when they come across my mind, I'll just bump them with a quick text. Hey, you've done that to me. It means a lot. How are you doing? And I have no idea why I'm texting you, but like, I'm just checking in. Um, And that, that is generative. That leads to, Oh my gosh, great timing or doing great. How are you doing? And it just opens that up. So those simple disciplines, those simple practices, others focused, humble, well, I could text Justin, but I'm, I got to go do some other stuff, but 10 seconds. And that can be, 
that can make a big difference. So you, you and Gary specifically have done that to me in, in my, uh, you, you're also on our board of directors per, <laughs> with, with guild content, but my personal board and, and Gary, I, I I've stolen this phrase. I've just literally ripped it off from him. Cause he, he'll say, Hey man, comma, how are you holding up? And it's just a simple, straightforward, like, but it invites me to be honest and open and say, man, I'm really struggling or I'm doing great or here's how it's going. Corey, you're doing a wonderful job consistently of like, hey, checking in, how, how, how'd that conversation with so-and-so go? How'd that meeting with what, what's his, you know, what's the mm-hmm. company's name? Um, that, and it's simple, but, mm-hmm. but, but hard if you don't practice. I love, I love mm-hmm. that, man. It's super, super practical. That's great. One of the um, uh, skills that I feel is, is under, valued and overlooked is communication, mm-hmm. effective communication, because it goes back to what you were saying earlier of expectations and clearly communicating those to your team members. So many times I've, I've assumed that my team member <laughs> knew what exactly what I want. How could they not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you can't read my mind. Uh, but even just working with you guys with marketing and creating video, and I was just, I just ran into your your amazing video guy. And I, I had a moment where I can actually tell him exactly what we, what I wanted and I haven't yet, but I'm like, why didn't I do that earlier? Because mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. I feel that either I forget about it and I just keep, you know, moving yep. at a, at a pace that's too fast, or I'm trying to craft the perfect way of saying it, mm-hmm. which I think there's a balance between mm-hmm. just say it, and then also thinking about what you said, because mm. I used to just say things whenever, without, and then, yeah, and then it pushed yeah. me to the other side, which is stop saying it, because yeah. then you know people are getting offended, or you're mm. saying it too brass. But I think there's a, a middle ground. Mm. But even with my employees and spe- specifically our, our instructors, mm. I'm constantly talking them, talking to them about the importance of effective communication. That's right. Even just how your voice sounds. Mm. We talk about pitch. We talk about tone because mm. we're teaching kids. Mm. And if you're not exciting and engaging, you're going to lose them. And I would argue it's the same with adults. That's right. You know, even as a pastor, if, if you don't sound uh, engaging, mm. you're going to see people sleeping yeah. in the pulpit. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I, I love that. It's, it's um, effective communication is something, especially in what we've noticed is especially in a virtual environment. Oh, yeah. Primarily. It's so much more important to, and it doesn't mean like every Slack or email has to have a thousand exclamation points, right? right? That's annoying, actually. That would be ineffective because <laughs> it's too many. It's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's not, we, you know, it's not real, but it is the, like the, the discipline of, and, and one practical question we've started to weave into our group is like, who else needs to know? Yeah. Right. Just that like mm-hmm. communication typically breaks down. Yep. In style and tone, but also in like, oh, I thought Corey just, Bronson and I had this conversation. I thought Corey would have just known it. Well, how the right. hell would Corey know? <laughs> and yeah. so it's like, okay, end of every meeting, end of every call. Cause, cause we're going through this challenge of, of, of like, it was like four or five people who knew everything. And now it's 12 and growing of people who aren't in every meeting. And I'm like, man, I wasn't in that meeting with Bronson and Courtney, like, oh gosh. But, but, but you know what? Courtney res- is responsible for radically responsible for had a communication with, Bronson, here's his feedback on the thing through Notion, which is an amazing tool, by the way. Are you using um, it now? I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, but Devin and Courtney uh, are, are working <laughs> on me. Um, but but the, the the responsibility to not view that in 
silos and in isolation, mm-hmm. but like, how's this benefit in, in practice? How, how does this benefit in practice to the rest of the team? It's a skill set. It's hard. Like man. you just said, because sometimes you get either two different types of people, right? You have the, the long paragraphs of, of email, right? Mm-hmm. They put a, like many, many words, mm-hmm. but then you have the opposite where they don't give you enough information, which mm-hmm. then requires you to have to respond back and say, could you elaborate on that? <laughs> so I think that's a skill set mm-hmm. again, that I feel is under, undervalued of being able to choose the correct words in your email and your uh, mm-hmm. instant message, whatever it is mm-hmm. that clearly communicates your expectations. What are you wanting? Or just your message in general. Smart. And yeah. and little things that you can do. So, hey, team, or hey, good morning, team. Right. One of the things I try to do, I don't know if I do it all the time, but I just capitalize the word team. Yep. Capital T. Yep. E-A-M. It, it's subtle, but it's intentional. I understand. It's That's in, an Enneagram That's one awesome. thing. It, it's it's awesome. a message, and it's, you're not, lower, you're not uh, a lowercase team. Uh, you're an uppercase team. You're my team. Uh, I'm a part of your team. Uh, yep. uh, um, even how we talk about... What do people ask? Well, what do you do for a living? Well, what is it that you do at your church? Well, I get to work alongside other other ministry leaders. It's not, oh, I'm in charge of. No, no, no. No, I'm alongside. I'm a part of. I'm with them. Yes, there is an organizational structure, and there's a method to how we move forward with strategy and things like that. But at the end of the day, I'm a part of their team, and I'm super fortunate to be able to be a part of that. But those little nuances that make a huge difference in how people feel about themselves, how they feel about the team. And it's sometimes it feels like it's, it's an easy way to have such a major impact, but we just have to be intentional about that. So now every time I say the word team in an email, I capitalize it. It's so simple. Awesome. And then what are the other ways that I can do that? Um, As a leader, uh, this is another thing I heard, which was I thought was amazing. See, we have to be CROs, Chief Reminding Officers. Yeah. How many times do you have Good. to say something before people actually listen? At least seven mm-hmm. times, if not mm-hmm. ten times. Mm-hmm. That's why when we are um, when we have something very important to communicate to the team, I'll walk around and I'll keep saying it over and over again, mm-hmm. even though deep down I hate doing <laughs> that. <laughs> Because my personality, yeah. I, was like, I said like, it already. I already like, said it once. Do it I perfectly. Even, I even gave it to you in written form. It's beautifully written. Why do I have to keep saying it? But guess what? That's my job as the yep. CRO. Yep. That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> How come you haven't implemented this perfectly already? Right. I don't understand. Exactly. The, the I gave you all the instructions. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Um, okay. This has been amazing. Let's shift real quick to, not real quick, but let's shift specifically to um, inspiration. So, Areas that you have personally found um, inspiration in the last, let's call it 30 days. So topics either from a book standpoint, resources, movies, podcasts, articles. Um, What comes to mind? Mine is uh, how to run your business by the book. I don't know if you've heard that. but You told me about it. Oh, my goodness. That was, and it's very practical. Mm. I love books that are really practical and and you can just... That's so surprising. Yeah. Read it and <laughs> apply it. <laughs> no, I, I, I do it. like the conceptual yeah. Yeah. feel good books as well. But this one was a huge... Because um, mm. I read a lot, right? And you, you'll you read some books. You're like, Neh. And I've learned to actually just turn them off and move on to the next one. As opposed I, to committing to finishing the them. entire yeah. thing. Because I'm like, all right, I started. I got to finish it. But 
uh, how to run your b- business by the book, and it's a biblical blueprint blueprint to bless your business. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. We'll link to that so people have That's that. That's great. Love it. Corey? One for me, it's it was an article that I read in the last few weeks, and it was specific to a church context. But I think that it applies in all industries, uh, in all environments, which is COVID in a way has, has basically given us, it's accelerated the reality to 2030. So if we were on this long trajectory towards 2030, trending with how things are going in the big C church in, in, in my context, or, but it, it could be anything. I mean, think about Zoom, think about remote work, think about how we behave with technology in different ways now because of COVID. But what COVID has done specifically for the church is that it's accelerated us to a view of what 2030 would have looked like without COVID. So it's like, it's moved us quickly towards that cycle. Yeah. 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 A future reality. And Mm. that is really, it's got me thinking about, wow, thank goodness we didn't have to wait that long to get to this point. But then also, Ooh, I could have used another five years to get ready to where we are at this point. And I I wonder for our listeners, how does that apply in your context, in your own world? Maybe it's in your family or in your organization or, or uh, in your community or your neighborhood. How has COVID accelerated the reality towards what it would have been in 2030 without COVID. It's been kind of a brain bender for me. One of the, one of the biggest changes that I just want to throw out there is, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but before the pandemic, getting on a video call was not normal. Not I mean, at all. it was almost awkward. Yeah. Yes. You're like, no, yeah. let's just do a phone call. Yeah. Now it's, it's why, are we, why are we yeah. doing a phone call? Let's yeah. just do the video yeah. call. Yeah. So yeah. I think, the the pandemic yeah. de- pandemic definitely accelerated yeah. that technology yeah. in itself. Yeah, it, it uh yeah preach man for sure. I, sometimes I miss the hey, can we just talk on the phone so I can like walk around or not feel like I've got to sit in the perfect backdrop space right. or whatever. Right. But um, we still like even though we're really good at Zoom, we still have mute issues. There's always. Uh. The mute issue. Someone right. violates the mute issue. <laughs> I haven't communicated. It's typically it. me, actually. I, I have, I'm saying this out loud and I haven't told our team this. Um, there's, there's part of me that's really annoyed. I do it, but is really annoyed by the mute. I'm like, you wouldn't show up, you wouldn't show up to this conference table mm. and like disengage, mute feels disengaged to mm. me. Mm. And I'm like, if you're going to be responsible enough to be an active participant on a call. I get it if the dog's barking. Hey, how many times have you heard that? Amazon guy's here, sorry, but, right? Which is fine. Um, If the dog's barking, mute. If the kid's crying, mute. But if you're sitting as an active participant in a meeting, I've just started being aware of it, because I do it too. And I'm like, this feels disrespectful. Like it feels disengaged. It feels like, man, if I showed up to Corey's meeting and seven people are on mute, we all just sat at this conference room and it went like this. Right. <laughs> it would well, feel disrespectful. And for me, mute, mute means for me personally, probably multitask. Well, if I can mute right, or even right. I can go like off bang video, around in emails. Yeah. Yep. I can go off video and I'm like typing and I'm nodding that's at the same the, time. So that's, that's my analog. That's mute the biggest downside of, of video. Video calling is that yeah. people can now multitask. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. know you, that's just not even a thing that you can yeah. actually do. Yeah. Right. Do. Well, that's yeah. right. 
you got to choose one or the other. You're going to listen <laughs> right. or you're going to do the, you know, yeah, that's right. spreadsheet you're working on. That's right. So I maybe they need to invent like a, they need to get to the next <laughs> level and do hologram or do a 360 <laughs> cam so they can see everywhere in your yeah. room. That's so right. They can catch you if you're doing Include your or desktop. multitasking. Yeah. From a business standpoint, charge more if you want the mute button. Right. Like charge an extra there 10 bucks that's a month. Awesome. That's awesome. That's <laughs> I'm awesome. I'm sure. I mean, that's an easy 10 bucks. Right. Like, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, a, a movie for, we, we watched this last night. Um, it was a Jeremy Parsons recommendation, who you mentioned earlier, video guy. Uh, much more than a video guy, by the way. He's a he's a he's a brilliant storyteller um, and wonderful guy. Uh, but he he recommended Coda, C O D A. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness! Have you watched the, it? With the deaf parents. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my yeah. goodness! A freaking wow! Blew my mind. Yeah. Like on lots of levels. On like the story itself was amazing. Um, the the production was incredible. But there's a couple scenes in particular for, for those who haven't heard it. It's on Apple Plus. Uh, it's um, Children of Deaf Adults is the acronym, C-O-D-A. And it's this high school senior who um, has a deaf brother and two deaf parents. Both of her parents are deaf. Lives at home with the four four of them in the house. And I won't spoiler alert it, but, like, she's – on her own journey of discovery, she she can speak and hear and and has um, has translated for the family essentially all these years with the business and just interpersonally, and and my gosh, talk about benevolence and others focused and empathetic storytelling. There's a couple scenes, one where she's singing a, uh, a duet at the performance, and it starts by for everyone who 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 can hear is. Uh, her and and the the guy in the in the movie in the duet singing this beautiful song. It's a compelling, beautiful rendition of this song, and you see the audience nodding and and like kind of internally singing along because they can experience it in the same way that 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 they are. But then you see the brother, the mom, and the dad, and and all of a sudden the music goes silent, and it's I mean minutes, right, Bronson? I mean it's long, like awkwardly long. Yep. Um, minutes of silence and you can just, I mean, it's like weeping kind of reality of like this, to the extent that I can ex- understand their experience, this must be what it's like mm. to, to watch your daughter sing and not be able to hear things she's saying mm. and not know if it's good. Is it bad? Is it awesome? Right. Is it high pitched? Is it low? And, and, and the, and they, the, 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 the feeling I, I experienced for them was like, um, it was like floundering, like they're in the sea of humanity and they're like floundering with like what's happening and they're looking around for cues and like, is it going well? And and then there's another scene where um, the the dad, they, they get back and, from this experience and, and the dad is like, hey, I need a minute by myself. And he goes and sits on the tailgate of the truck and the daughter realizes that he's in distress and she comes back and sits with him on the tailgate and starts to the you know we all have kids right um the dad says could you sing to me and he can't hear he's like can you sing to me and she's like signs sign language to him you want me to sing right now and he's like yeah sing right now and so they're outside he can't hear still obviously duh um felt rude saying that but to clarify and she starts singing you can hear it in the movie 
Um, and he starts like putting his hand on her vocal cords and on her face and on her the top of her chest and like her neck to feel like the vibration of mm-hmm. her song. And and to to come and make a full circle that the teacher very the teacher's role is amazing. I was first kind of annoyed by yes. the guy, yeah, <laughs> but like yeah. his influence in her yeah. life was profound. And the he said the I think it was the first encounter. I'm, I'm trying to remember um, in the movie, but he said to her in one of the very first encounters, he's like, there are lots of people with a pretty voice. He's like, but not all of them have something to say. And he goes, what do you have to say? Or no, he said, do you have any question? He's like, do you have anything worthwhile to say? And she goes, I think so. <laughs> and then wow. it unpacks this. I mean, holy smokes. Talk, it was amazing. So we actually have three students whose parents both are hearing impaired. Mm. And these girls are incredible. Mm. I mean, between the ages of I think six and 10 or something like that. But they're younger. And I watched them translate for their parents all the time and i mean we never have to talk to them about behavior because it's just a different life for them and i i obviously i have such respect for those kids and even for those parents because they don't complain i mean they're the most positive people but think about it if they wanted to they could feel like oh this is not a good situation but they don't. They see the positive side. And this is something I always try to remind mm. myself every day. It's like, why are you complaining? Mm. What are you? Why are you worried? I mean, look around. There are, like, you have it. Every single night, I'm always thanking God Almighty. Thank you for everything that you've given me and forgive me for wanting more mm. and not being appreciative and grateful. And I love movies like that because it wakes me up again and again and again because I always fall right back down to my <laughs> yeah. pity party. Yeah. But, yeah, that's a great movie. It's good. I got to look it up. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, it's wonderful. We just literally just watched it last night. It's just on Apple, Apple okay. TV. Um, I, I do want to pick your brain because we had a, a wonderful text dialogue. Um, we share maybe some fanboy-ish syndromes with rich with rich roll yeah, yeah. Uh, you love that show i love yeah. that show my wife's like oh my gosh like, if, <laughs> if you quit if you don't ever stop talking about rich roll i'm gonna uh i'm gonna i'm gonna and you're so annoying uh <laughs> she says that lovingly of course um but we we both talked about his you shared it with me i missed it but his um episode with doug abrams on hope yeah. Yeah. um what were some of your key takeaways on that and then we'll wrap up yeah the biggest there's many many the biggest one that i would I would share is this whole notion of hope and hopelessness and how the ability to communicate and express and have hope, it's, it actually lives physically in the same part of your brain as problem solving. And so then you kind of unwind that a little bit and you start thinking about how you think about the people who are the best problem solvers. They're typically the people who are most hopeful because they they are hoping for a change they are hoping mm. that the someone that someone they're working with can help with that change they are hoping for a better version of the current reality mm. but then you think about people who are bad problem solvers or who they would prefer to just to stay status quo you then wonder i wonder if if you could gauge their level of hope right now what would that be it would probably be lower so that's been a helpful way of thinking about Great, it's good to be a problem solver, but what does that actually mean? Being a problem solver is, is being someone who lives with hope. Mm-hmm. 
hope towards a different reality knowing that we can do this. We can move for, forward with that. And so Abrams talks about how physically those two things actually reside in the same place in our brain, hope and problem solving. So that's been pretty that's cool. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and uh, I love that. And then you, you also shared one of the highlights around, uh, which, was a, which was a sobering comment, but when we engage our teams or our people or our families or our relationships with hopelessness, it's like an invasive species. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was the, the language yeah. you used. It was an invasive species yes. and, and it, and it, 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 um, uh, erodes and, and starts to, um, put toxic energy into the system. I'm yeah. like, good night. Yeah, it's so true. And then you have to ask yourself, what are the, what are the noxious fumes that I'm emitting right now? Am I? And if I am, how do I get an exterminator or, <laughs> you know, a spray to come in here and, and correct that? And for the sake of other people's health. And so that goes back, Bronson, to your initial, some of your initial comments around looking inward, being humble, looking out for other people's needs. Mm-hmm. And it's a daily, hourly, moment by moment opportunity for us to be grateful, for us to reflect, and for us to emit uh, fragrance, not toxicity. We're an hour three in. I could keep asking you guys questions all day. So the look, the, the good part is we get to do it again next month. What yeah. do y'all think, man? How'd this, uh, how'd this land for y'all? What are y'all feeling? I could yeah. talk forever, but yeah. <laughs> I think the question to ask is, are the people actually going to listen to yeah. it? <laughs> we will find out. Yeah, we'll find out. We will find out. The good news is we get to upload the file, hit publish, and, right. and we'll see what happens. That's right. uh, on that note, I would ask um, for those still with us through this long dialogue, which uh, hopefully there are some, um, if there are specific topics or thoughts or pieces of information you would like me to ask these two, I will get the chance every month to do that, assuming they continue to say yes to my uh, unpaid uh, podcast invite. Um, so email me, justin at guild, G-U-I-L-D, content, C-O-N-T-E-N-T dot com, justin at guild content dot com. Email me. Um, I, I have a, a plethora of ideas I would like to explore with these two. Um, but I want to make sure it's helpful to y'all. So uh, I've really enjoyed this. I'm thankful for you guys carving out time and uh, can't wait till the next time. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable. So thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it until next time when we get to share another great conversation with you. Have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.